En 2014 nos faltó un evento importante en 2014 que es que a Leopoldo López. Ah, okay, bueno. Leopoldo López is, was one of these big candidates that yeah. like... He's like... Uh, there were two big people, three. Uh, Capriles, um, Ledesma and Leopoldo. I was going to say Maria Corina, pues. Tipo, and Maria Corina. Oh, yeah, Maria Corina. But le I mean because they were... Bueno. Well, don't worry. Uh, the point is... Uh, Leopoldo era como... Fue... Creo que la, era, era la figura política más importante de Venezuela en el momento. The... I think he... Eli Caprile. Pero... Eli Caprile. But... Mm -hmm. It was between the both of them. Uh, and he called for some of the protests in 2014. Okay? And so the government uh, wanted him arrested because, uh, quote-unquote, he incited violence. Something. Which he didn't, but uh, basically the point is that he could either get arrested or leave the country. He had every opportunity to leave the country. Okay? A lot of people say this. Like, he could have per gotten on a plane and left if he wanted to. Okay? But... Uh, he gave himself in. Yeah, he gave, he, he gave himself up. Uh, in the pro he did a giant uh, uh, marcha, uh -huh. okay, and they all walked him to Plaza Venezuela, and he got in this, you know, statue with a, you know, everything, and he said his goodbyes, and you, you can hear Lilian, Lilian Tintoris, his wife, uh, who is a political activist, she's very well known, and she, whenever she's giving interviews about the time right before he got incarcerated, she says, like, look, look I told him not to go. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm told him not to go. And he told me, look, if I don't go, there's going to be another family or many other families like us who are going to suffer the consequences. And I can't do that. And he turned himself in. Like, that's their narrative. I'm, like, I'm not, I'm, I don't know whether to believe that or not. But uh, the point is, he uh, was incarcerated and that was the end of the protests after that. I don't think so. I think it was a bit more, uh, but uh, the point is that we didn't uh, get much further. Uh, he was a martyr in a sense and he did unite the efforts of the opposition in a sense after that because in 2015 it's true that's true uh so Guaido, somehow as a result of that yeah no yeah 100 and But then 2015 we have elections elections the elections for the national assembly take into account that in this country right elections are a joke by by this time so there's yeah. elections there is a debate of like should should we vote ¿verdad? Which is something that nowhere else in the world you think about. It's like, in Venezuela, what was the worst? To vote in a system that you know it's rigged or not voting and not saying what you think. In the previous assembly elections, I remember, my, my, my mom always tells this story, the opposition said, do not go vote. This is a protest. We're protesting against yeah. the election and we lost. Evidently we lost. Yeah, because it was an abstention loss, and exactly. a lot of people criticize that abstention loss, and it's it, that that debate's repeating itself right now, exactly. which is, Scary. in my opinion, stupid. Exactly. Absolutely stupid. Like you cannot you absent yourself. That's li literally the reason that the French Revolution happened is that the king said, "Well, I'm not going to have this conversation," and the other people said, "Well, if you're we not are. here, we're going to have this conversation." So you can't you can't exactly. absent yourself from the political. It doesn't work. 2015. They call for elections. The opposition calls for people to vote. They win. Not only that, the government recognizes that they win. Yeah, and, and they win everyone, by a crushing majority. See, see, and everyone was shocked. No one Expected in the country that. was expecting that. Like, maybe they would win, but that they would actually confirm it? Yeah. Like, we knew we had the chops to win, but we, we didn't know that we we're going to be like, well, you did win. Here you go. The exactly. prize is... No. So it happened, but... But they did put a couple stuff in the middle, right? The Indian, uh, the native sí, but it was like things. Three, three deputies. Or yeah. Like. But what happens is that 2017, 
So the government spent a very, a very long time, Nauru spent a very long time governing through like presidential mandates mm. and through like extraordinary missions. Like he declared economic strain and because <gasps> the constitution yes. said this, he could have autonomous power. Uh -huh. he, Eso se llama eh, estado de emergencia económica. Exacto. Basically, he would like... Declare. Say, yeah, pero como anular the power of the legislative yeah, like, he, of the he assembly. Would, He, he would basically have uh, dictatorial powers because of a time of strain. This Exacto. comes from, from Roman and, sí, and sí, sí. part and stuff. Like, if there's a war or a very hard time, the president, president can get, make... Yeah, he did that for two years. <laughs> claro, pero entonces, además inteligentísimo, porque dice, you have such a high inflation that you have enough an economic emergency to say, look, we don't have time to waste, I need to take action. The worst action ever, but he did. So he, he took action that would make the inflation worse so that he could declare economic... Uh, I don't know if he did it for that, but it definitely is what happened. Yeah, well, and the, the point is that the situation repeated itself enough exactly. that for two years, the National Assembly had basically no power uh, at all. Exactly. Uh, they, except for a few basic things that they did. They, could, didn't, they didn't have much power. And then 2017, Maluro said, like, look, I can't keep doing this, you know, economic emergency thing. We need a more permanent solution. So the legislative branch was the National Assembly. And then you have the judicial branch, which is Tribunal Supremo de Justicia. Tribunal Supremo de Justicia was very, very officialist. So it was very much towards the government. And uh, Maduro basically told them, like, look, you're going to pass this mandate that says that the National Assembly doesn't work anymore. Okay? <laughs> like, they have no power. They're going to go away now. Okay? And they're going to go quietly into the <laughs> night. And the Venezuelan people basically said, like, Fuck no. And it got pretty dark. So okay. this is, this is we're 16 years old at this time. So the solution they found for this was that they, they decided that they wanted to write a new constitution. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to, in order to write a new constitution, without asking anyone, must say, like, I don't, ni siquiera creo que hubo un referéndum para esto. No, 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 no. You have to have an assembly that writes the constitution. This is called Asamblea Constituyente. Asamblea Nacional Constituyente. Exacto. This thing was a nightmare. It yeah. was the worst thing you could listen about. And I remember doing so many school presentations about this bullshit. Yeah, me too. Basically, since you had an Asamblea Constituyente writing the, like simultaneous as your other assembly, what Maduro would say or the government would do is like, look, this is the actual working assembly. So we're not going to listen to these people. We're going to listen to the people who are on our side. Yeah. So it's basically they were writing a constitution. So they were doing the actual legislating and they were saying the, the government was saying like, okay, so the legislative branch makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was the last golpe de estado that there has been in Venezuela, technically speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so yeah, it was horrible and it sparked the hardest, bloodiest round of protests that we had mm -hmm. in Venezuelan history. I must say that this constitution did not happen. People, yeah. we, st we still have the 1999 constitution. So that just, is it still running? La Asamblea Constitucional? I don't think so. I don't sure. think so. Because like probably they already chose the new assembly. Anyways. And yeah. they're just like, the thing is they're smart. They have like these political tools to yeah, yeah. bend the rules. Chavez created a pretty solid constitution to so give himself power. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, easy to get them out mm -hmm. and 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 i think we tried the legal route they tried everything they could to stop us and i think they did sí. they did very very well. effectively sí. yeah but 2017 do you know anything uh wh what do you remember from those protests well, 2017 we were in like what second second year third 20 uh, bueno, yo, yo estaba en, yo estaba en, en tercer año, um 
So for me, that's blurry. So like, I remember going to protests and stuff, but my mom wouldn't let us go much. Also, I wasn't a big fan of going protestas. So my my dad would prohibit us from going to protests, but I remember spending every single week cooking food. So giant pots of food, like pasta and everything for the protesters. I was very much involved because my sister was in university and she was a student activist at university. So ella presidenta, era que sí vicepresidenta de consejo estudiantil de su, mm -hmm. de su universidad. Entonces, she was up there. I, I remember seeing my sister's friends like speak in the rallies in front of everyone. I remember um, this part and I, I get really emotional talking about it because uh, my sister almost died and her friends almost died in those protests. Like, I remember my sister filing a report to the Human Rights Watch because she got uh, tear gas thrown at her from an airplane which mm -hmm. is like goes against uh, like right. and uh, I remember my sister telling me like oh yeah my friends uno, uno de los movimientos más cooles que hubo en ese momento que fue increíble fue la Cruz Verde mm -hmm. ¿tú te acuerdas de la Cruz Verde? poco pero sí la Cruz Verde fueron todos los estudiantes de medicina de Venezuela estos son los de, los, los de la UCB eh, la que es la, la Universidad mm -hmm. Central de Venezuela eh, hicieron básicamente como la como en ese momento se sonaron las alarmas tipo humanitarias nobody came the, the Red Cross wasn't mm -hmm. going to the protests and helping people and so these students literally decided like you know what we're gonna do it and they put a Red Cross uh, a, a Green, a cross. green cross and they started going to the protests y eran empezaron siendo dos alumnas y terminaron siendo 250 personas and they went to to OEA and to the United Nations to give their testimony um Hubo muchas muertes en esas protestas. Mm -hmm. Neomar Lander se murió en esas protestas. Exactly. Juan Pablo Bernalete. Juan Pablo Bernalete. I remember going to his um, mass. I remember seeing him die. Like, I remember the, the shot the, in the news. Ah, okay. I was like... I wasn't there, there. no. I, I couldn't go to any protests exactly. because um, my, my dad would prohibit us from exactly, going. Exactly, because we were too young. I mean, sí, and it was too dangerous. Pero todos mis amigos fueron. Y yo, por ejemplo, yo me acuerdo perfecto hacer escudos en mi casa. ¿Te acuerdas de escudos? Yo, tipo, me acuerdo perfecto quemarme los dedos haciendo escudos más de una vez o sea me acuerdo clarito de eso eh, me acuerdo clarísimo de eh, mira hoy viene hoy viene a la casa este chamo eh, él no está aquí tipo, ignórenlo como si no estuviese aquí porque lo están buscando y era tipo mete gente en la casa me acuerdo las tres de Carmen no llega a la casa porque está en una protesta y no sabemos cuándo vuelva. Me acuerdo de él. Te van a chequear el carro y si tienes una mascarilla en el carro de las de, de, las de antihumo, te, te agarraban y te metían preso. Me acuerdo perfecto que eso, esa época fue súper heavy. Sí. And, and there was also this thing que estábamos hablando antes, el cacerolazo, that's how you call it. Yeah. That's one of the things that I remember the most because it really touched me. During this, like, whole times of protest and stuff, like, the whole, the whole city was, like, in this, como, low tone where you could feel the, the tension in the yeah. air. And you could listen to, like, shootings at night and everything. But when Chavez died, I think it was, um, Capriles proposed, like, this um, initiative called El Cacerolazo. Cacerolas, it's, like, it's French. It's, like, um, the pots. Yeah. Wherever you cook, where you cook your pasta, where everything, wherever you cook. On. Exactly. So his proposal was, look, everyone... From, you know, the one who has the most to the one that has the least needs to go out at 8 p.m. and hit your castros with all your heart. Yeah. So literally, you could have a blackout. You could be anywhere you were. Y a las ocho empezás a escuchar. Y tipo, I remember como I still get goosebumps every time I think about it or that I listen to it still because it's like this feeling of everyone 
is on the same note and we're we're all feeling the yeah. same thing and we're all fighting for the same thing the the the, the overwhelming feeling of being united for something so big is very powerful even if we never got what we wanted as much as like we wanted it but uh, the whole thing we lived and the whole like idea of we can have too many differences but the one thing we want is this is extremely strong yeah i i want to end with a story for so this part mm -hmm. sorry i want to end this part with a story i have a friend of my sisters who so one day they were being chased uh, by guardia nacionales mm -hmm. uh, which are the police officers of the government who they're kind of like the civilian army let's put it that way i don't know it's a weird part of the, so, the point is that they're the people who have the guns who were shooting everyone <laughs> uh and they were uh running down my sister and her friends and my sister tells me that she walked for she ran for 10k more or less and they got away but one of their friends somebody that i, I love and I, i hold like dearly in my heart fell mm -hmm. okay she fell and like she panicked and went inside a building to try to get cover this story when i've heard i didn't know this story uh i knew about my sister but the um, she, i know her and she told me this story in person and i remember crying when i heard it because it was just so heartbreaking uh i like she almost died because she they like basically they were cornered by the the guard in near a building they were trying to get into and the guard basically shot them up with uh with tear gas so much that she couldn't breathe and then when all the other people left she was left in the floor she couldn't breathe and a guard literally like kicked the shit out of her until like she couldn't breathe and she was about to die and the only reason she didn't is because one of the uh, mm -hmm. uh who the reason why the the cruz verdes were managed to do something is that the cruz verdes also cured a lot of guardias nacionales so they, they didn't give it they didn't give preferential treatment they weren't just curing the the civilians the civilians they were curing everybody who was injured and so uh this guy found her and said like hey leave her alone i'm going to like take care of her and she mm -hmm. was about like two minutes away from passing out and like she was horribly disfigured for a bit mm -hmm. and she had a really tough time she's fine now but uh those were the kind of things that happened to people who are my age now mm -hmm. so she was about 21 when this happened Jesus. and like my sister was 21 with what was mm -hmm. happening and those were the people who were out there talking in the streets and doing stuff so most of our generation looked up to them my my See. biggest issue is that i would have wanted to be there in 2017 because i feel like it couldn't do enough you know i think that's too much of a burden for yourself it's too much of a burden for everyone but i i can assure you that i'm not the only one who feels this way yeah but it doesn't I don't think it would have made a difference. I don't know, but uh, I, I, I might have been satisfied. Fair enough. Having tried. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm sure that you're right. I probably wouldn't have made <laughs> that much of a difference, but I probably would have been reckless and put myself in danger. That doesn't take away from the fact that I would have loved to try. Fair enough. Agreed. Um, then what but, happens? See. Then you, you have 2018 with a... It's not that much about protests. Like I was talking about this with Jose and like perhaps we had like a different intake on it, but from the way I see it, 2018 is when the whole social and economic crisis reaches Deepens, its yeah. peak. I think this is the first time we have, we actually have hyperinflation. It's the first, yeah. first year we get the, like, more, Im imagine this is like more than a thousand percent inflation per month. That's, it's, it's fucked up, right? So you had food shortages, you had um, paper, toilet paper shortages, you had blackouts. It's like, for example, if you go to a supermarket, 
when the flower arrived, then everybody would know. So you would have extremely long lines where you could buy one flower. And of course, these people, what they did is like they bought, they took the whole family, they bought as many flowers as they could, and then they would resell it to people like our parents who didn't want to go and make the line. Right? Who couldn't because they, they had a that job to go to or school to or go whatever. to. whatever. And the takeaway from this, and this is something that I think is so important for people to understand, it's like price ceilings are wrong. Price ceilings do not... So setting prices. Set it, like fixing the top of... It's, it's wrong. I was talking about this with my econ teacher the other day. She was like saying, look, if you have high inflation, it means that you have more people asking for stuff than what you can actually supply. Yeah. That's why you have high prices. Hence, like it or not, you need to depress the economy for a bit. You need to lower the demand until your supply can meet your demand. Lowering prices, what it does is increase your demand because more people can buy that one thing that before they could not. So putting price ceilings is not a measure for the people. It's a measure that destructs your economy and your country. Yeah. Because I've heard people in my class say, you need to control prices. And I'm like, look, whatever you do, controlling prices is never the right thing. Yeah, controlling prices is trying to put your thumb in the balance and thinking that the weight's going to stay there when you take mm. your thumb away. It won't. It won't. Este, it's the same thing as like, uh, cambio, um, it just doesn't work. It, it makes your, it violates market uh, logic. It the basically fucks hand. it up. The invisible hand slaps you in the fucking ass if you do exactly. that. Uh, and okay. I also remember from this time, it's like you would went, you would go to the supermarket and the shelves would be empty. Or there would be water shortages for a very long time too. Still, still. Yeah, still. I was telling my boyfriend that like, for me, going to the supermarket was such an exciting experience when like, when I would travel abroad. Yeah. Because when you, yeah. you'd be like, I can buy anything that i can think of at the same time and and it's all there uh-huh. and and the other thing is like he would always question why when i went to the supermarket i would buy stuff not only to consume today but like for when that thing was over i could have more yeah and i was explaining him while we were talking discussing the other day it's like we have this behavior of like when you buy when you used to buy stuff back home you buy in bunks like yeah, in in bulk. yeah exactly. in bulk. so like you wouldn't buy one milk you would buy 12 and you would store them so in yeah. our houses, not only did we have a fridge, but we had a freezer so that whatever huge amount of food that you could find, if you did, you could store it infinitely because you didn't know what would happen. Yeah, all that's, the time. Box de harina pan, box de arroz, box de leche, porque no sabías cuándo iba a volver a ver. Entonces, si conseguías, me acuerdo mi papá, he would call, like, look, I found 24 harina pan. So my mom was like, get them. You could never let go or you would of trade op- them, yeah. Or you would never let go of an opportunity to get food. Yeah. That, that's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And then came 2019. 2019 is the last year that I was in Venezuela. Yes, okay, so it was graduating year. For me, it was your next last year of high school. 2019 was, there was a round of protests. There was Guaido, yes, uh, which is like the biggest hope Venezuela has had for a uh, president that would take us away from everything. Didn't happen, sadly. Um, <laughs> but the I think the big event of 2019 was the biggest oh, the power bad. outage in the history of modern humanity. We lived through that, okay? El apagón más grande de la historia moderna. Y básicamente, we were without light for what? For like around a week. 
it was intermittent. Tipo, yeah. For a month, it was intermittent, but like the big, the big blackout, I think it was for around a week. Yeah. Like it was so bad that like it started in the afternoon of like Monday, let's say. Yeah. Next Tuesday morning, I remember going down to the car with my mom to like plug her phones and literally like just turn on the radio to see if someone was explaining what was going on in the country. And it was. No, so yeah, there was like one or two like channels that would actually. Me acuerdo la mega. Claro. Yeah, but they were transmitting and they were explaining what they knew and nah. But it was really like a movie apocalypse type of situation. Yeah, it was really scary. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty scary. And I remember that everybody went to their cars to charge their phones because gas was super cheap still. Uh-huh. And I remember perfectly the calling somebody with the one bar of signal you had and like calling them until your phone's battery ran out again. <laughs> <laughs> That would be like every night. Uh, I had a really scary story once. I got, uh, I was away from my parents. We did dope, we did World School Debate Championships. We did an event during the blackouts. I did a blackouts. presentation about that in school to, like this week. Yeah, about doing the blackouts or World School Debate. <laughs> I told the whole story. Oh my God. And it was crazy. We literally did this uh, giant project that most countries like take months to do and have like professional preparation. We were a bunch of teenagers who did it in like their free time and we managed <laughs> to pull through it during the biggest blackout sí. in, in like modern human history. <laughs> which is amazing that we managed to do that and sí. then i remember that after after the last day of that uh we went uh i was going to visit a friend to see if he was okay uh we went up to his house and i ended up being stranded in his house for like the week of the entire like uh-huh. I, i couldn't go home <laughs> because everything was closed and i didn't know where to go and i couldn't even call my mom and i remember like she must think either i'm dead or i'm fine one of two things there's <laughs> nothing we can do about this now so yeah until you came back Yeah, until I came back and then my mom was like, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> There's I'm nothing kidding. to do. Uh, and then, well... You left. I left. Uh, I, there was some weird kind of calm times right after the, the blackouts. Because the thing is, Guaido, like, fue juramentado, right? So we technically had two presidents at the same time. Maduro actually being the president and Guaido being recognized by a lot of countries outside without being able to do anything. Yeah. So, like, during those times, people were like, okay, let's wait and see. And after that, it was like, Look, I don't think there's much more we can do. Yeah. And I think also the government started being a bit more loose with their economic policies, which also led to a bit more flow. Y las bolsas clap, brother. Las bolsas clap fueron heavy. Creo que eso empezó más o menos. Bueno, quizás un poco antes. 2018 más o menos. Exacto. Basically, the government would give away food in boxes still nowadays. Yeah, and they would either, if you, if you, didn't, if you weren't with them politically, they would just take away that, you know. But now, ahorita no. I don't know, but no. uh, before it was. I it think, would be I like think that. in the beginning, yeah. Yeah, and then 2020. Ah, COVID. COVID. Jose was already here, baby. I was already here, but I, I don't know anything. Actually, you had a, 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 a more. a less strict COVID than I did. Sí. I spent COVID literally locked at home for five months or something. Sí. Well, the first COVID case was in my school, actually. Really? Sí. It's like I, I was in chemistry class. Coordinator comes in, he goes like this to teacher, he tells us something in the year, and they're like, everyone's going home. <laughs> and i remember i took like nine people in my car that day and they were like no the professor was like yeah but where are you all going and i was like no no we're cars and like, I, we just like sneaked in and then i had literally like i was driving and i looked back there was like a mountain of people in the back of my car <laughs> just driving them home without knowing what's gonna happen i was doing my ib like certification time. yeah yeah 
And we were like, no, it's two weeks, it's perfect, we're going to be able to work on that. Mentira, brother. Nunca volvimos. O sea, nunca volvimos. Nunca Ese fue mi último día de clase. Ese fue tu último día de clase. Sí, horrible. Una horrible historia. That's horrible. Y bueno, I spent a month locked up in my house. Yeah. Until I, like I started gathering with some friends and stuff. It's actually really fun. Yeah. And then present day Venezuela, what would you say to close this off? Uh, Venezuela is special. Tipo, Venezuela, like you can go and you can see the biggest, like the biggest bri like breach between the poor and those who actually can afford things. I think the difference nowadays, like the public sector is cooperating with the private ones. I look explicate Tipo, the capitalists were in charge of the government institutions. Yeah. I think there's certain projects right now which are somehow being managed that way, which is leading some, to some sort of economic progress. We'll see. También está lo de Chevron. Si en Venezuela, they take over the oil things. That could also be positive for the country. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but unlike before, one, politics is not the only thing we talk about anymore. Yeah. We actually don't talk about politics that much. Yeah. Which is and which is very good. That's which a is, good which sign. Which is good, and people are living their life. We, there, there will be. That means that there is space for politicians sí. who are actual politicians and are, who aren't just talking about what they're doing uh, to to actually exist. You see new things, which some people call progress. It depends. On how yeah. You see it. So there, there was this thing that uh, because a lot of uh, of the you know first world countries put sanctions in, in Venezuela, the richest people in Venezuela generally the ones associated with the government, couldn't take their funds, uh, money out of the, of, of the country. So their only choice was basically to put the money back into the country. And so there's been a lot of like fancy restaurants and places and where you can buy and investment stuff. And a lot of what we would have called before money laundering, but they actually use it now because they have nowhere else to go. Yes, so uh, the country's basically being forced to cooperate with itself to survive. Yeah. I think that's the proper way to see it. Like they're... they're Some of the lines are being erased because if you don't erase those lines, like there's yeah. just hate and then you can't work. And it's not like either Venezuela said it or not. I just think that what the, the positive thing about this is that people have hope. And que the tomorrow is going to be better than today for someone. I think that you're right. And I also think that there is enough space in your life to not be worried about your son or daughter going out to protest okay. there's enough peace for a couple of things i don't i don't agree with the entire situation i haven't been there since 2019 and in all honesty i'm scared to go back and seeing something that i don't like but most people that have gone back have told me that they just really appreciate the fact that it's still there and that it's still beautiful and you know the time will come to do something else the time will sí. come for it to change just... y, y, and there's room for growth creo que lo más lindo de venezuela ahorita es eso que tipo tú, tú vas y primero, la gente no siente que mañana va a ser peor que hoy. That's really important. Eso es muy importante. Aunque la inflación siga y las cosas no necesariamente estén mejor en muchos aspectos, si ves que, o sea, por muy tonto que suene, hay gente que, que hay un nuevo restaurante al que pueden ir, sientes que estás en una ciudad que está, que está mejor. Y eso es una realidad muy privilegiada y, y muy limitada. No, y, bueno, y es que ya va. Si lo comparas con 2018... It's, it's, tienes comida en el supermercado, brother. O sea... Sí, independientemente de tu marca política, eso es algo innegable. Uh -huh. y, y yo creo que muchas personas se quedan pegados en el hecho de que quien esté subiendo la bandera de que... A mí, honestamente, lo que más me interesa es que... There's democracy at some point. And democracy starts with food. Sí. 
Bueno, no sé. There's elections coming, I think, the year ahead or the year after that. Vamos a ver qué pasa. Pero sí, yo creo que el mensaje al final es como que where we come from nos ha enseñado muchísimo. A lot. Y tenemos como que este sentido de responsabilidad de que lo, o sea, lo, de lo poco que sabemos y lo que hemos aprendido de esto, como que o sea, a alguien le puede servir, ¿no? Yeah. Y yo creo que if, if you send this episode to someone, we can officially say that no one will get away with not knowing what Exacto. happened in Venezuela. <laughs> if, you, if you want a little bit more information, if you want a more comprehensive look at the protests and everything, hay un documental en HBO que se llama A la Calle. Está súper bien hecho. Eh, por lo que he visto el documental, porque no lo he terminado. Mm -hmm. eh, it's very accurate. Okay, a lot of interviews. It's very, for me, very emotional. I cried like five times watching it. Eh, se lo recomendamos muchísimo. And remember, no one gets away with anything. Thank you so much. Remember, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you got your podcast from. See you next week. Bye.